All right, welcome back to another exciting episode of the Nailed It Orthopedic Podcast. We are so glad to have you guys back with us. Uh, we have been doing great things overall. Like I'm, We're really impressed with just the, the support we've been getting and so glad to keep having you guys come back. Uh, let me introduce myself again. My name is Dr. Jay Fitz and I have here with me today. Oh, Dr. Wendell Cole, back again for another one. Absolutely. And uh, I think we have a pretty awesome show in store for you guys today is we're doing something different you know we're branching out a little bit uh things opportunities coming our way and we're just taking them all in so this is going to be great uh, before we get too far we do have a sponsor today uh that we have to introduce is uh, our sponsor is pocket pimped uh that's pocketpimped.com pocket pimped on instagram uh and they pretty much they on instagram they ha- actually put out weekly orthopedic knowledge that can be helpful for both medical students and junior residents as well. And they also have a book that they put out that uh, is pretty much to help medical students who are trying to match into orthopedic surgery. And it has 1,500 of the must-know topics of orthopedics all in the book. So it's kind of the top pimping questions, hence hence the name <laughs> of Pocket Pimp. There you go. Uh, and we even have a coupon code with these gentlemen. Uh, Cody can tell you a little bit more about that. Oh, yeah. And I, you know, I just want to give another shout out to the to these guys. Um, they're, they're residents up in Columbus, Ohio. You know, I think what they're doing is great. They're doing an excellent job of trying to educate people. They're not only doing it in orthopedics. Eventually, they'll do it in other fields. I see they have a general surgery book. Um, so, again, huge shout out to these guys. And we were so lucky as they would love to give all the listeners of this show a discount to get their book. You know, I think it's a great book for just like Jay said, med students, probably junior residents, maybe maybe intern level. Um, but they want to give us a, a discount for all of our listeners. So the promo code will be nailed it 15 and they'll get a 15% discount discount on anything that you can use on their website. So again, it's going to be nailed it 15 and their site is going to be pocket pimp. So again, congratulations guys on on getting this book out and you know we love to see um, people out here trying to further education further orthopedics so again congratulations absolutely but now it's time to go ahead and transition to the topic of the day actually our guest of the day now I was really excited to speak with this guest it's been making it's been in the works for a little while maybe a little over a year or so and um our guest, she has done a lot of great things. She is the CEO of White Coach Coaching, also has a podcast called White Coat Coaching. And White Coat Coaching, they have courses that we actually took when we were fourth year medical students to try to help us learn some. Um, yeah, and right great. now, yeah, it was, a great, it was a great it was a great course. And right now she's actually finishing up her chief year at the Kettering Health Network, and she will be going into upper extremity um, fellowship with the Philadelphia Hand Shoulder Center. So our guest for today is going to be Dr. Emily Tan. And today we kind of speak about some different things, Jay. You know, we speak about uh, entrepreneurship and orthopedics, you know, topics that aren't really covered too often. We also talk about learning how to be a good teacher. And we touch about COVID. Dun, dun, dun. Coronavirus. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So, guys, it's it's just a really... I, I was pretty excited about this. This is our first joint uh, podcast. Uh, you know, she has a podcast. We have a podcast and she kind of have topics that are more kind of like what we're talking about on this show uh, versus us. We tend to have more orthopedic surgery uh, 
related topics, like directly related to orthopedic surgery. So I don't know. You guys let us know if you like this. If you like this and you let us know that you love it, we're going to do some more. And we have a lot of ideas coming out the pipeline. So we'll, we'll keep putting them out there for you. All right, guys. Enjoy the episode. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. Dr. Tan, welcome to the Nailed It Ortho Show, or should I say, or our conjoined show today. We are so happy to have you on as a guest. We've been looking forward to this talk for a while, so welcome. Thank you. I am very excited we finally got this together. Um, we were yes. talking a little bit right before we started recording, and it's been, it's been like two years since we first discussed uh, doing a joint podcast. Yeah, it's been a while. And, um, and you know, the first time we actually came across, well, I know I told you this in the, in the past, it was actually uh, when Jay and I were in med school and we were looking up, you know, orthopedic sources because we, we didn't have a home orthopedic program and we ran across your videos and they helped us out a bunch and we ended up getting your course. And, um, and that actually helped me out a bunch, um, figuring out kind of what to learn for orthopedics. So, Thank you so much for making that. It's always very encouraging to hear because, um, I mean, that's why I made it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It was like really good. So I remember uh, it really ran down some of the basics. Very good. And, uh, you know, when we first started, I remember Cody was shaking in his boots every day, uh, <laughs> wondering, wondering what he was going to do. And uh, so you really helped him out. But before we get too far, guys, like I'm pretty I'm pretty stoked about this because this is like epic. OK, so I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to pass this or skip this. And that like it's not a big deal. This is like a big deal. This is also a big deal. This is our first joint combined podcast. Like we are a host and a guest at the same time. <laughs> like I'm loving this and you know I know we're going to have our own little introduction videos but since we everybody's here uh real quick Dr. Tan can you say who you are and what you're about and what is your podcast so that everybody knows for sure yeah so um I'm Emily Tan and I am currently a chief president in Dayton Ohio going on to do a hand fellowship in Philadelphia um I'm the founder of White Coat Coaching, and I think the course that we are referring to here is the Ortho Jumpstart course, uh, which is really catered to medical students on their way to do away rotation. Um, also, the podcast that some of you will be listening uh, to this on is called White Coat Coaching, the Orthopedic Podcast. And my goal with that podcast is really just the to store stories or to collect stories about orthopedics. Um, I, any listener will have heard me say this a million times, but I believe in the impact and the power of stories. Um, and we just don't get to tell them enough. So this is like the perfect yeah. venue. And you know, one of your, your podcast actually came up during one of my med school interviews, not med school, one of my residency interviews, uh -huh. because in one of your episodes, you interviewed Dr. Joel Rush, yeah. And I had an interview down at Broward and I was thinking of topics to bring up. And I was like, actually, because I listened to this episode, I brought it up to him during our interview. And he's like, oh, okay. man, talking about your, top, your podcast. So thanks again for helping me out in more way than just one. Happy to do it. Yep. 
the gifts that just keep on giving. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, I actually think I was going through some of your shows and I'm actually working with one of the residents that you had come on your show a while back. So uh, yeah, look like you, you've been doing some work for sure. Uh, Cody, you know, everyone knows me because I'm the interesting one. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm Jay Fitz of uh, Nailed It Orthopedic Podcast. Uh, and this is my sidekick. No, I'm just kidding. This is uh, my co-host, Dr. Wendell Cole. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> all right. So, you know, we're so glad to have this going. So glad that you guys are listening. So glad to have Dr. Tan. And, you know, she's already been talking about the white coat uh, coaching. So, you know, that was going to be one of our talks, a part of one of our talks today is just entrepreneurship. So how, how did that even come about? So I've kind of like flipped this around a million times because I don't know if you guys have um, felt this as well, moving through residency, but um, it is kind of different what we do, the way that we look at having a pet project on the side. Um, and I think for me, I had an untapped um, creative need. So um, I think a lot of us going through medical school, we try to fit ourselves into a box or just make sure that our efforts are going into things that are going to pay off, if that makes sense. Um, and I wasn't spending enough time doing creative things. Um, and I, I just like, it was leaking out of me. And so, that matched with um, realizing that there was a huge need for medical students uh, to understand the application process. Uh, and when those two things kind of collided for me, that's when I decided to do white coat coaching. Like personally, I didn't match into ortho my first time. And so I really understand what it's like to feel like you've fallen off the map and not have advisors or not have people readily give you answers. Um, and I think that personal experience for me, and then being on the flip side after I did get in as a resident talking to students, I realized that all the questions that I had had still existed. Um, and in this day and age, it seems like such a shame that there wasn't a venue um, that yeah. helped alleviate some of that. So I had a creativity that I needed to somehow expend somewhere, and I think I found the right place to expend it. No, I think you, um, uh, of course, we said it many times. We're so grateful that you actually did that. And because um, that helped out a lot of people. And so one of the things you just mentioned that you said you didn't match the first time. What are some things that um, you felt like you had to overcome, per se, you know, mm -hmm. that first hurdle of not matching. But now you matched in a hand fellowship at a at a, at a top uh, you know at a very high fellowship program so what do you think uh what do you think kind of helped you throughout that entire process mm -hmm. a lot um so i think it's been a huge um learning curve for me um i actually did a webinar yesterday maybe two no over the weekend um and they asked me about what it's like to be a female in orthopedics. And I know that's not the question you're asking me, but it kind of falls into the same category. And the answer I gave there was, um, for me, it's been a big learning process and learning to be comfortable with being different. Um, and that is, I believe, 
one of the key things in getting me from not matching to successfully matching into um, a fellowship. And that's like stepping, skipping a million steps. But I believe when I was a fourth year medical student, I think there was a lot that I was trying to become. I was trying to fit in in a lot of ways. Um, I kind of alluded to the idea of like checking boxes and putting energy into things that I felt like people expected of me. Um, and I guess another way to look at that is I was trying to fit in. I had this idea in my head of what an orthopedic resident was supposed to be, and I was putting all my effort into becoming that um, and stifling the parts of myself that I didn't feel like were valuable to the people who would be evaluating me. Um, it's a very nebulous thing, but I think that made me um, shy. Maybe not shy, but I wasn't as forthcoming. I didn't let my personality show. Um, and I wasn't pushing that hard because I was trying to figure out what other people wanted me to do and then just doing that. Um, after not matching, um, you kind of got to, you just have to throw the mold away and figure out what to do with that. Um, yeah. A little bit of the desperation helped me just let go of this uh, persona that I was trying to um, make. And I was just like, well, I only got one more shot. I just have to figure this out. And so I think I learned how to activate my network, which is a statement I'm taking from Dr. Bonnie Mason. I learned how important relationships were. I learned how important it was to understand who I was as a person and what my strengths are and what I would bring to residency. Um, and in that, I think that got me, got my foot in the door into residency. And that has been my mission through residency. Um, and hopefully I am more confident in that now, which hopefully showed in my fellowship application. No, I mean, so like, how did that, because um, then if you like kind of transition some of those same um, characteristics that you were talking about to, you know, kind of having the confidence and shelling out to who, you know, who you really are. How do you think that helped to play a part in entrepreneurship in like orthopedics and residency? Because, you know, a lot of people like it's not kind of a, a big thing, you know, mm -hmm. especially as a resident. It's kind of like not necessarily know your place, but, you know, it's not a thing that's very common. You're right. It's really not common. Um... And I think part of it is that I love that you're asking me these questions because I haven't really thought about these that closely before. Um, but I think part of it is that we are so used to traveling established paths. Um, and part of me not matching made me realize that there was no established path to get what I wanted anymore. And so I had to, um, for lack of a better term, think outside the box or basically invent a path for myself to get what I needed um, and becoming comfortable with um, asking for things that I, that someone wasn't offering me or uh, researching different ways to do something rather than the way that someone told me that it should be done. Um, doing that and kind of experimenting with that during the year when I was trying to reapply, I think made me a little more comfortable with wandering around um, in skills that I might not be great at. Um, and I translated that 
I think, to this entrepreneurial mindset that you're talking about, which I think is has a very high tolerance for not being good at things. A lot of, um, I think a lot of the resident mindset is that we don't like to do things that we're not good at, uh, or we don't like to do things that we don't get good feedback on, um, or we don't like to do things that don't have immediate results. And none of those things happen when you are creating your own business or creating your own podcast. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's probably the biggest piece. Um, in addition to that, a lot of um, what we do for residency is for the team. Uh, and I started this during second year, one of our busiest years. And when I look back on that, I honestly have no idea how I got it all done. Um, but I think there is a big driver for me in um, in having ownership over something, that everything that I put into this particular aspect of my life, everything that I put into this business would either succeed or fail based on my effort, um, or my effort could be seen directly in success or failure. Um, yep. And that's very, very different than a lot of the work that we do in training. Um, and I think I needed that. It helped me, um, I don't know, it helped me really push through some of that um, ambiguity, some of that, a lot of the stuff that I was not good at at first or the rejection that I got at first or I continue to have. But knowing that this was something that I was building, that I would see the results of my work um, yeah. It's kind of like you're putting your name driver. on something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Things are a lot different you when know, it's like just your name behind it. And, you know, like you're saying, I think, you know, just kind of going through those trials sometimes can really help you get to the other side and make you, I don't know, make you work a little bit harder. And um, just kind of, I was listening to your whole story and, you know, Cody is pretty shy. So I got to I have to uh, speak. <laughs> I have to speak up for him sometime. I don't know what this guy's talking about. I have to speak up for him sometime. So you know, me and me, me and Doctor Cole, we we've really been pretty good friends since you know we got in med school. It was like it was pretty instant. Me and him had a similar background, and we kind of recognized it right off the back, and we uh -huh. started hanging out, and just, just kind of took off from there. And our, you know, our path was even similar towards medicine in a way even though he's a lot younger, he did a lot of things right earlier on. I kind of, <laughs> I kind of, he did. I, I don't give him credit a lot, but he, he, he's a, he's a smart guy. So he, he was like one of the youngest guys in the class or something. I don't know. He was like 12, wow. he was like 15 or something. I can't remember. No. <laughs> and it was something like that, but he, he, he really, he really got that together. And, um, you know, we, I mean, just the, the path throughout our, our grades were similar. Our scores were similar. So, we kind of crazy. Simple. Yeah. We, we just always kind of had the same, um, like we, at the time we would have the same worries because we were kind of in the same boat most times. Mm -hmm. So we, we, we were there to kind of push each other along. Like you say, not being the average candidate sometimes, you know, I think we probably are, you know, we're, we're not average by no means and what we're doing for a lot of different reasons that I'm probably not even going to go into all of them. But I mean, we're, we're totally the anti, orthopedic surgeon res, uh, applicant right now. And uh, things worked out because we kind of helped each other. And mm -hmm. 
we continue to help each other. And, you know, I could, I could actually give Cody a lot of credit for a lot of things. I don't know how much you want to put out on this, uh, on our podcast, but I mean, <laughs> and it's good stuff. It's good stuff. I don't really have nothing bad to say. Like if you Google this guy, you'll start seeing all types of weird stuff about this dude. Like who, who does these I feel things? like we've got two things now that we can't just skip over. Um, oh, <laughs> we have to talk about, what do you mean by being the anti applicant? Well, give me you know, a couple. yeah, give you a couple. Well, yeah. Ooh, yeah, put you on the spot there. Yeah, I mean, okay. that's fair. It, I like it. And it's, you know, it's good. To, it's good for people to hear. I actually think this yes, is good absolutely. for people to hear. This is the story part of it, right? Yeah, I think this is good for people to hear because in the background, you know, I know Cody probably get it and I get it. I mean, there's there's plenty of people who I'm talking to right now. And, you know, maybe their step score was a tad bit lower than what they wanted. Um, and they feel now because the score is so low or whatever, they just feel like they're totally out the boat. And that's not necessarily the case. I remember, uh, I, I'm going to talk about myself. I remember mm -hmm. when I was in school, I wanted this certain number. Like, I, I, you know, everyone tell you, you got to hit 250, step one, or it's over. You know, you got to do 250. That's what it's all about. And uh, let's just say I didn't get a 250. <laughs> let's just say that yeah. that didn't happen, right? And so now <laughs> after that takes place, you kind of have to start looking at, okay, what, what am I going to do now? And even some of my mentors was telling me things I didn't want to hear. They wanted me to go do these research years and things. I'm like, man, I, I don't, you know, who who said something about a research year? I didn't want. To. I remember that man when you came to be crying and stuff, man. Oh, I had at your back. Hey no. man, hey, I, I went I went crying to a couple people. I couldn't believe that they were telling me to go take an extra year. I'm like, dude, what an extra year? Okay, uh, but you know. There was things, we, what, what happened was we became, both me and Cody, like, because we would talk about this with each other, we became mm -hmm. very strategic on our the rest of our way. Because, okay, step one didn't go amazing. It didn't go horrible by any means, but it just didn't go amazing. So you still got step two, all right? So somewhere along the line, you got to crash, you got to kill one of these tests. That's just bottom line. One of these tests, you're going to have to bust it out. Like, you just have to do that if you're trying to get into these super competitive specialties that's just part of it and i, don't, I know things are kind of changing out with the scoring system so i can't really mm -hmm. speak too much on that but in our time you have to kill one of these tests okay we didn't have a uh, program at our school so we also needed to do away uh, away rotations and we had to be very strategic about where we were going to do aways my big thing was i didn't want to go somewhere if i couldn't get an interview there and i didn't want to go there if i didn't think that i was competitive to be there so, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I, I spent days and days and nights and nights just sitting here figuring out which programs I'm going to go to and which one's going to give me the best chance of matching. Uh, and other than that, the last next biggest thing that I did, which programs I have some kind of ties to someone who could vouch for me and say, hey, I know this guy and I like this dude. He's he's a good he's a good he would be a good resident. I would I would want him on my team. And I, I kind of honed in on a lot of places like that. And that actually did make a big difference. And, you know, I started off what I guess started off, I, that, that would be fourth year. I started off fourth year very uncertain about whether I would get into orthopedics. But by the time I finished my ways, I was 100% sure I was about to match. And it was just because there was a lot of st strategy that went into mm -hmm. things. So, you know, anti as in maybe not the, the best applicant on paper. I probably mm -hmm. look a little bit different than most of the applicants as well. And that's just a given. Um, and, you know, here we are. We're still here and I'm doing well. Things are going great. 
I think what's uh, interesting and in, in, like similarities in both of you guys' stories, just from hearing both of you talk, is both of you have um, say some something along the lines of you know getting confidence and you know being being more confident. And another thing that both of y'all mentioned is utilizing your network. Emily, you said it, and then mm-hmm. Jay, you just said, both said it as well. Super important. Um, that help play a part in at least getting a spot or um, making it into the field. So I, I just I just saw those parallels and just wanted to point them out to anybody that's listening who may be in a similar situation. Um, it seems I, I think that a lot of people in their mind just have this idea that the perfect orthopedic applicant is someone who has checked every single box on their application and doesn't need anybody's help. <laughs> they will somehow walk into the room and um, someone will read their application, someone will talk to them for five minutes, and they will somehow prove that they deserve that spot. Um, and that's just really not accurate. There are a lot of right. really, really good residents that you know don't check the boxes that people tell us are important. Actually, I'm super curious about um, you guys' entrepreneurial ideas, you guys as a team. Like, how did you um, decide during this application cycle, everything that you were going through, all the strategizing, that this was um, something to pour energy and effort into? Yeah, and it's because this time I I actually plug Dr. Cole about this a lot. I mean, even in my personal relationships, I tell people about him. This guy has been, I mean, he's, I'll put it like this. So when we first started medical school, like this is day one, you know, the, the next week, this guy's telling everybody, yeah, I just made an app. Uh, I need y'all to download my app. <laughs> this is something I'm doing. So he, he, I mean, and this is just the first thing. I think later on, he went and sold some houses and stuff. I'm like, man, I'm over here trying to study for a test. What are you talking, how are you doing all this stuff? So this guy, he's like super entrepreneurial this just is is in his personality so uh that's one of the reasons i like hanging around him because he pushes me to do these things i wouldn't do a lot of this stuff for my own but him it's like is all he thinks about i mean we we're we're talking about one thing and next thing you know he got a whole new idea and he's making it happen it's not just talk so i'm let him brag on himself but i just wanted to give him a little shout out <laughs> no, i appreciate the shout out um and I, th- I think your original question was like, you were asking when we were applying how we came up with this idea as far as nailed it ortho, how to be an entrepreneurial in, in that aspect, Emily, is, is that right? Um, I see that you might be taking it a different way and I'm curious about what you're thinking about with <laughs> that too. No, no. Um, in that aspect, how we came up with the idea to, to come up with nailed it ortho uh, was just something similar, you know, we both kind of had a lot of struggles um, trying to get to this point mm-hmm. of even matching. Um, you know, there was a lot of, I remember I wrote, when I was rotating, a lot of other students that I felt like were e- eons, like ahead of me and smarter than me. And I didn't hear like half of the stuff, you know, like half of the orthopedic terminology that you hear. I had no idea what any of it was. And I was like Googling and looking things up. So you kind of have to work harder um, given, you know, whatever hands you were dealt. So we felt like this would be something that would be helpful to others. And then, you know, just like Jay was saying, I do have a, I guess, kind of a, a background of doing other projects and entrepreneurial type, uh, entrepreneurial type events, you know, kind of came in a mess. From? That is, that is probably, a, that, that, that could be like a whole podcast in itself, but just to <laughs> sum it up, 
uh, son of immigrants, you know, immigrants came here and, you know, I'm first generation kid here in the U.S. And I always just had that that kind of entrepreneurial spirit. I remember like back in fourth grade, I'd go to the store and like buy boxes of airheads and then like sell them in school for like 25 cents a pop and it would like somehow make a profit. And that kind of just continued it continued throughout my throughout my life or slash adulthood. And then I remember us talking a little bit earlier off the air, we we're talking about some of the people that we listen to. And one is actually Tim Ferriss. He has mm-hmm. his blog and his podcast and his book for our work week. And a lot of the things, uh, mindsets that I have actually kind of come from him and reading that book too. So it's a multifaceted uh, answer to your question. And yeah, then, you know, the other, the other, one other thing is, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I, I like to, uh, you know, sometimes um, Jay here, I like to mentor young kids and uh, <laughs> Jay, <laughs> Jay came in, took him under my wing. So, you know, I, uh, <laughs> This is good because I was about to make a jab at him. So I'm just glad he hopped in first. That's that's really good. Yeah, the mindset thing is really key. I'm sure that you guys have had um, a lot of people ask, how do you do this given all your other responsibilities? Do you think it's time Um, management or do you think it's more mindset like you were talking about? I think it's both. Um, I definitely think it's time management. I think that has a, a big part, but in like how you manage things and how you do things, like I'm a believer of what's called batch processing mm-hmm. and, and time management, those skills even come before, like while you're in medical school, you know, if you develop those skills early on, then they'll kind of continue with them. You know, if you didn't do something before med school and before residency and you think you're just going to like kind of just start doing it, you mm-hmm. know, out the blue, maybe a little bit harder than you think, you know. Yeah, I think we can all, um, there are so many ways to be more efficient with your time. Uh, but at the same time, I think one of the keys for me too with that ownership aspect that we were starting to talk about, um, yeah. it's not like if you were to fill your schedule to the brim with things that um, you have to do or are just like long-term goals, uh, it can be really wearing. Um, and for me, I definitely became more efficient when I added this load uh, just because it was so important to me. And it was also restorative in a weird way. I would work harder, but have more energy. Hmm. And kind of going along with that topic slash kind of not, um, since you hit this point now, you know, you're chief about to go into fellowship shortly. What are some, it can be time management versus other skills, things that you've learned uh, while you've like throughout this journey. And now that you're being a chief, you know, these can be tips on how you've, um, learn to teach others how you've learned to time manage, you know, cause you're doing a lot of these other things, but what are some of the, you know, things that you think you've learned or the qualities that you think you have? Mm, um, that's a great question because I clearly love the whole teaching aspect. Um, and so do you guys. So I'd love to hear, uh, we should talk about this from both ends. Um, so for me, I feel incredibly blessed because for my class, we have three a year and we all become chiefs uh, during our fifth year. So we share the chief responsibilities. Um, and I am incredibly lucky because my co-chiefs are complete opposites of me. We are kind of like three people who are so completely different. Um, but I love it because it really lets us kind of focus in on 
our pet projects or the things that we feel really strongly about. Um, and it leaves room for me to like kind of deep dive on something that or things that I would otherwise not be able to. And I think for me this year, I've been trying to think about the cognitive aspect of surgery a lot. Um, so one of the things that we have implemented this year is uh, really forcing people to make pre-op plans. Uh, and I know that's something you guys have talked a lot about in your previous podcast, but if you think about the learning opportunity that we cherish the most, right? It is when we get to go into the OR and actually do surgery. Um, and we are also incredibly lucky that we get to do that on a live human being. Um, but one of my projects this year was to see how we can maximize that experience. Um, and before chief year, I kind of got lost into like a rabbit hole looking at sports psychology and the science of learning and adult learning and trying to use um, or pull aspects from all these different fields to try to maximize our favorite learning opportunities, um, the OR. And, and really what that culminated in is like forcing people to write preoperative plans. Um, in doing that, we practice some visualization, which, um, you know, kind of increases the reps, even though you're not working on a real human being, just writing out your pre-op plan as you go through it in your head, the better you are at it, the, you can trick your brain into thinking that you're actually doing a repetition. Um, and it also helps us split our cases. So... Uh, the more that you can plan out a case, um, as chief, you are also expected to teach in the OR. So we have our didactics in the mornings where we can go over our pre-op plan. But having a pre-op plan also helps us teach hands-on stuff in the OR. If you know that there's you know, 15 steps, or if you've broken your pre-op down into 15 steps, it becomes a lot easier to chunk them um, and say there's a slightly more difficult part of the case. Um, you can do that part of the case as the chief and then have the remaining 10 steps uh, be designated for the junior. And having it on a sheet of paper, talking about it before surgery, makes it a lot more clear uh, when, which steps you're going to do and which steps they're going to do. So there isn't this like fumbling in the case. Um, also, then they don't spend the whole case just hoping that they'll get to do something. They'll be able to really pay attention during their time periods and maybe take a little mental uh, break. Not, not a real mental break where you completely check out, but it takes a lot of effort to be fully, fully focused and present on what you're doing. And it may not be completely useful for the intern to be like 100% on um, when they need that mental energy to do their 10 steps of the case. So I've found that to be really, really useful. And then since we've had everybody write out like physically write out their pre-op plans, it gives us a framework to do a debrief after the case too. So then one more time, you get another rep afterwards. You can write your notes on what went according to plan and what didn't go according to plan. Um, so yeah, that, those are probably the things that I'm happy that we developed this year, pulling from like different specialties. Um, and I think that's helped. <laughs> that's been my pet project for the year as far as teaching goes. Yeah, it actually, I mean, I think that's a good idea. I was just reading, uh, it was just a chapter in Rockwood and Green. And I mean, 
I think it might have been a preoperative planning section or something like that. And it even talks about how, you know, you should or you could write out, you know, draw out the fractures, draw out the actual mm-hmm. fracture itself yeah. so that you can plan on how you're going to fix it. And, you know, I'm not the best drawer, but, you know, or the best artist, but, you know, I, I try to do some of that. And I actually think like what you're saying, just kind of thinking through that process is really, uh, really a good process to do. Uh, and I even have a mentor, apparently back in his heyday, he's a little bit older now and he's kind of about to retire soon, but back in his heyday, I, there's, I think he used to like write out a, a plan and he would put it in like a sterile, I don't know, some kind of little sterile baggie so that he can touch it. Oh, wow. And it would be in the OR. So everybody will know what's going on, what they, what he wants to do. And that's been doing it for years and years. And that was, what's he still doing? So, I mean, I think that's, uh, uh, just a great habit to have. And not only that, yeah. you probably can think about like your, you know, that's your plan A. I think the the biggest step in things, and I'm sure you guys probably go over that when, when you guys have your talks. I think everybody co- come in with a plan A, but I think mm-hmm. what we really get paid for is kind of the plan B. I think that's where it really <laughs> comes into play uh, is when things don't go the way you plan for them to, because it all, you know, it almost always happened. I mean, you know, things don't always go as planned. You know, they probably could teach monkeys or something how to do surgery, but, you know, could they teach them what to do when things just not going right? Like what yep. to do now? And I think that's where pre-operative planning, like really thinking about things that really come into play. Emily, if you if you can see me right now, you see a little tear going down the side of my face because I'm so proud of her for coming up with this answer. You know, oh my <laughs> <gosh>. <laughs> he, he's silly, uh, Doctor Tan. Don't don't pay him too much mind. He, this is the type of stuff we deal with all the time on our show. It's it's crazy, but um, I, I think so. I mean, I think that's a a huge key to things, and and that's something I try to work on myself. You know, like right right now, I'm, I'm good for Plan A. Plan B takes me a little bit longer. You know what I think is is um is helpful is at least for me being a second year is when you have a chief that lets you do like some of the like actually lets you do hands-on and actually do like part of the case i feel like watching like for example 10 total knees versus doing one is two completely different things you don't know like the the weight of the knife you know how to hold it you know how it feels when you cut through certain levels um, so that's something I think everybody learns differently, but that's also something to think of and, you know, take into account. 100%. So this was actually a big thing when I was researching for, um, for one of my journal clubs. Um, so remember how I said that the preoperative plan could be an additional repetition, especially if you're good at visualization. So visualization has been shown, uh, like an fMRIs to light up the exact same parts of your brain as when you are doing the actual behavior or the movement, right? So it is literally in your brain, another repetition. The caveat to that though, is that you have to be a certain level in order for that to work. So you can't have somebody watch something that they've never done before and then expect their brain to light up in the same pattern in the motor cortex as someone who actually knows how to do that. So they studied this, I think in juggling actually, Juggling and then in dancers, they had dancers uh, watch other uh, expert. Like, so they took two different types of dancers and they had them watch the other type of dancer. And somehow, because they had enough background, uh, just watching the other dancer 
the other type of dancer could light up the appropriate places in their motor cortex. Really? However, if you took someone that had no idea, like no um, mental muscular memory, um, and just showed them something like juggling that they don't know how to do, when you did an fMRI, their brain did not light up in the right places. Hmm. So it doesn't count as a rep if you don't have that background information like you're talking about. If you haven't um, done enough total knees or um, ha- held the knife enough to feel the difference between the layers, watching somebody is not going to have the same effect as someone who does know what it feels like, which is, which is actually a big switch for me because as the senior in the room, I can have that rep even though I'm not holding the knife, but the junior can't have the rep if they're not holding the knife, if that makes sense. Um, So it was important to me to identify which steps would be appropriate for them to do without holding up the flow, because that's another thing. You can't stop the whole flow of the whole surgery for a junior to walk through the entire case from beginning to end, which is another expectation that I think we have. It's just not super realistic. Like it's, you can have the knife and then when you are either people get impatient or you make a mistake or something like that, then it gets taken away. But that's not really setting you up for success if there are parts later in the case that are very appropriate for you to do. Mm-hmm. So, totally agree. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say totally agree with that. Uh, definitely some parts that's probably more suited for the junior person in the room. Uh, and like you say, the flow of things does matter. No one likes being held up in OR. And as part of being a junior, you just have to learn how to be able to work efficiently and fast. And it just takes time. Now, we're, we're kind of running out of time. And I want to get talk on one more thing. But just, just to add to that, another thing that I learned about um, watching, because I'm, you know, for you know, I remember when I first started looking for programs, I was like, man, I don't want to have to just sit around and watch all the time. Like, I want to be in there doing something. But Mm-hmm. One of the biggest things that I learned just by kind of being that person who kind of watching the case, if you can mm-hmm. be around for when other people mess up, if you can catch your seniors, ha- mm-hmm. make a mistake. Oh, man, that you learn so much from watching them make a mistake. And that's your chance to learn to not ever do that again. Like it's almost <laughs> the same, like you just did it, but you have to remember like, okay, this is how I don't let that happen. And you know, it, yeah. it happens to everyone. That's what residency is about. I mean, there's a lot of mistakes that happen all throughout it. If you can catch the negative things and learn from those just as much as you do when things are going great, it'll, it'll make you a much better resident or chief or whatever when you're more senior. Now, and, and real, just real quick, I just wanted to say, touch in real quick and just to just pretty much off of what uh what emma was saying like so after i mean watching it a million times okay but if you do one and then watch it then you like start to notice all the different things that you may not have noticed before like okay you know oh i made a decision like okay well this is actually a little bit harder to get through the periosteum than i thought or or et cetera Mm -hmm. et cetera then so the next time you're watching the case now you're paying attention to details that you didn't even know that you know, what you would encounter from having just only seen it the whole time, you know, like you're not looking mm-hmm. at it. Like, okay. Well, how do they use your Addison? Okay. What part of the tissue do they, do they grab? And like, how do they dissect? Like, you know, what exactly like movements do they use? So, um, I think that's something to take in a, into account, I guess, if you're the student per se or the low level, as well as a senior, remembering what it was like beforehand and saying, okay, well, this is probably how I can be most effective in teaching. Yeah. And, and I, it's super ironic that like we're talking about 
um, a piece of paper as a pre-op plan, especially since the three of us are like, we love our technology, we are making a podcast, but actually having a piece of paper, whether or not it's in a sterile thingy, I usually just tape mine up to the wall, um, makes a huge difference um, from beginning to end. Beginning, you know, when you're thinking about it, I literally print out the x-ray and then underneath I write out steps, one, two, three, four. And I have like a little wish list on the side of like how the patient's going to be positioned. What are the trays that I want? What are the extra things that don't normally come? Um, and that's just a great communication piece uh, for the staff when you get into the room. And then having the sheet of paper when you talk to your attending is been, has been complete gold for me too, because it's hard for them to understand how much thought you've put into this case as well. So if you show up with a sheet of paper where you've printed it out and you've written out all the steps, then, you know, that has, that's like, that shows already how much thought you've put into this, even if your plan is slightly off. Um, in fact, it's great if your, your plan is slightly off because they'll read it and they'll be like, oh, here, I was thinking about doing a tightrope instead. And then you automatically know that we're going to do a tightrope. You didn't have to exactly ask if you're going to do a tightrope. Um, and you know, for next time that there are these three decision points that they differed from me. So next time I will need to decide at these three decision points what I'm going to do differently. Yeah. Then you are able to plan with whoever's going to be in the room, which parts they're going to do. I even have my juniors, like if we're doing a tibial nail, measure out on the x-ray, not on the sheet of paper because it's not the scale, but like in the system, measure out what they think their screw lengths are going to be. Um, so they're going to be doing the perfect circle um, and they're going to be doing that distal screw so they, they should be prepared to do that and I want them to measure it out because you get down there and you realize like if you haven't done it a lot it's really hard to get that feel of um, the depth gauge right and so if you're down there and you're like sweating should I go back to an AP or do I need to go back to a lateral can I stay here how sure am I that this is the correct measurement if you've already measured it in your head I mean you've measured previously and you have a ballpark of what you're thinking it is that just adds one more um, one more thing to make you more confident about what you're measuring or if you're measuring completely off you know that you're completely off so that helps you interop too and then afterwards like you're saying if there's a mistake or something um, if they've written out a pre-op plan if your senior's written out a pre-op plan or you've written out a pre-op plan like I, I think it takes a lot, it takes a lot of the pressure off to be like, oh, I noticed that here at this step, something happened, then you can ask them about it and then write notes. And I think it actually destigmatizes it a little bit um, to be able to talk about what happened. Absolutely. I would, en I would encourage you guys <laughs> on some of these cases, just try it out, see what it does for you. Yeah. And it sounds like it's a lot of opportunity just for learning there as well. Someone can teach you when they see your thought process. They can kind of help you out. Now, it's almost more of a communication tool. Yeah, for sure. I can I can definitely see that. It's just wide open. Let's think about this together. And yeah, so it's it's a good deal. So before we get too far along, I wanted to mention this just because it's so prevalent or so uh, you know it's just relevant to the times right now. How is COVID changing things at your uh, your institution? Ooh, yeah, so COVID has changed pretty much everything. Um, I think that we as a residency 
have had to figure out kind of how to change how we do everything. Um, so for example, we are a program that meets every single morning uh, in the ortho room. So we have 15 residents and minus the ones who are on away rotations out of town, we meet every single morning at 6 a.m. in person. We run the list, we do our didactics, um, and then from there we kind of split off into our rotations, which we do um, an apprentice style uh, rotation. So you are with that attending for that month. And it's really stretched um, the way that we do things to move from being together in that one room to being remote. Uh, we now do all of our education. We still meet every morning, but remotely. We run the list like we usually do. We go through all our consults and then we have our didactics. And it's been um, interesting to uh, realize how important we are to each other's um, engagement in education. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that's probably one of the big changes. Also, I mean, we've scaled back to being a skeleton crew. Yeah, us too. Um, yeah, just trying to like decrease exposure. One of the things that uh, I realized in kind of discussing with all the residents is that we, there's a lot of fear, right? We don't always think about it, but we, as surgeons, I think as a general breed, like to have control. <laughs> oh, yes. And um, this was a, an incident where we had no control. I could see everyone's brain trying to... Um, predict what was going to happen next because that's what we like to do. I could see everyone's brain trying to like control uh, aspects that may not have been controllable. Um, there's a lot of fear in being asked to do things that we don't feel comfortable doing, which is actually a very pertinent thing for residents in general, but it was brought to the forefront, I think with COVID. Yep. Um, those are the, the things that I'm, most recognized that stressed us out the interesting observation that was the opposite for me um <laughs> and then i'll let you guys talk about your experiences that sure. it's really interesting to talk about talk to everyone after we've had sleep yeah um i don't know about you guys but like we became much more interesting and well-rounded and kind to each other after we were less sleep deprived. I think after about a week, we started to catch up on um, some of the sleep deprivation that we had. And then at two weeks, it was like, huh. I was like, oh man, this is, this is what normal people do. Like this is how yeah, exactly. people sleep and like this is how they feel all the time. Uh, no, I know, I know exactly what you mean. Um, us similar, you know, we've kind of gone down to a skeleton's crew um the 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 leadership as far as kind of handling this situation with my program and the chairman and our chairman um as well as our program directors they've done a, a really good job of you know being kind of open and communicative of everything that's going on um so i tip my hats off to them as well and i mean for us we're like bones skeleton bones crew you know you kind of realize like dang i, I haven't like operated in in a couple of days so, you know something feels mm -hmm. off you know that's one of the things. Um, but, you know, also, you know, I think everything is a, a blessing and a curse. You know, I always say you can either look at the glass, you know, half empty or half full. And just like you're, what you were saying, I think it's nice to be able to catch up on some sleep, you know, be able to mm -hmm. like get a workout in here and there. Um, 
catch up on some things you might not have been able to do before. You know, you may even have more time to do more educational things like such as read, yes. you know, mm-hmm. which you have much, much time to, to do, to do that prior to, you know, to this whole COVID pandemic. Um, so it's been a, it's been interesting times that we're in and still kind of going through. So, okay. So I don't know about y'all, but I thought that we almost had our moment as a specialty to, to hush up all the, the talk about ortho, just, you know, <laughs> being all about bones and all this stuff. I thought we was about to get called to the front lines and I don't know, maybe we are, but I was dusting off my stethoscope. Oh man. Was, hey man. I had you still have it? It's like it was deep into my uh, trunk, really deep in there. It was all up under everything else that I had for like 10 years ago. But anyway, I was dusting off my stethoscope, right? And I was about to show all these medicine docs that I, I only consult them just so that they can have a job. But, you know, <laughs> it's really, you know, we, we really got this diabe- uh, diabetes thing if I wanted to have, it, you know. <laughs> you know, just slide scale. Just put them on a sliding scale and that's it, huh? <laughs> put them on a sliding scale and then they're okay, you know. Put them on a sliding scale and hard. Low, pain. medium, or high. <laughs> exactly. That's all we need to know, right? That's all we need to know. <laughs> like, I only consult them just because I don't want them to not have nothing to do, so. But, you know, lucky for them, they didn't need me out there just yet. You know, uh, there's some programs in, I think, in New York that they're yeah. pulling on. Um, I think NYU or some some other programs out there, they're pulling ortho residents to go help out in ED. So that is a thing. Yeah, absolutely. I have a um, someone who's a hand fellow last year, uh, first year out in practice, and she's being recruited to or asked to work in the ED a couple days a week and it's definitely a thing for residents uh in the places that are um, more heavily hit yeah i bet it is especially like you said you gotta say out there in new york but you know i think i would rather work the wards than have to do the emergency department you know those belly aches and pelvic exams i never was a big fan of the emergency (laughs) department at all it was interesting because uh, our hospital system started talking about what we would do if we had to um, escalate. I think they called it phase three. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And I, I was very impressed with, um, impressed with us. Uh, there was definitely this sense that, you know, we are a part of this medical system, right? That we are smart people, like you're saying, that we are very, capable we may not be competent right now to run any ventilators or do much more than (laughs) insulin sliding scales Um, but we're capable and if we if we're needed we can brush off the stethoscope look things up on up to date and yeah there's a lot of willingness for us to kind of jump in to that oh yeah if you would have gave us 10 10 solid days of medicine we we probably would just take over the whole hospital they wouldn't <laughs> i don't think we'll have any other specialties anymore after we finish so, oh man these uh these these residents rounded all before eight o'clock like, yeah <laughs> like oh man they've seen 60 patients before 8 30 how did they do this yeah but okay guys yeah. why are they all on a sliding scale <laughs> yeah, <I> know, right? <laughs> uh, long story short orthopedic rule or, orthopedic uh specialty rules guys and uh that's just how it works that's but sliding so, scale sliding scale and hydralazine prn that's that's it everybody there it is <laughs> keeping things simple so dr tan th- thank you so much for coming on to the show really enjoyed it i mean this was like one of our first talks like this and i know you have a lot of talks kind of similar like this and we're going to try to 
do more more like this and maybe even have you back on the show i really i really enjoy yeah. it. I happy to uh, do it i feel like we have lots more to talk about absolutely this could go on and on and we're we're glad to be a part of what you're doing glad you take the time to be a part of what we're doing uh so thank you very much Thank you all for listening to yet another episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Dr. Tan as much as we enjoyed making it. Now, again, if you guys have not hit the subscribe button, please hit that subscribe button and please go and leave a review on iTunes or however you listen to this. If it's Spotify or Stitcher, please leave a review and give us five stars or however many stars you think is worth. And please subscribe, tune into the episodes, check out White Coat Coaching, and again, check out Pocket Pimped at um, pocketpimped.com. The code is going to be nailed at 15. And we hope you guys enjoyed this bonus episode. Until next time.